Hello, and welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast. I am Joe Lavelle with Dr. Gunn Winkle, and this is episode 42, where we talk with Rhonda Menzel, a 30-year healthcare practitioner about muscle activation technique, an approach to resolving pain and muscle imbalances by reactivating muscles that have become turned off. I know that sounds strange, but I have experienced it myself. Listen in as Rhonda tells Glenn and I about how muscle imbalances can have a neuromuscular origin and how such imbalances can cause muscle tightness, decreased athletic performance, and pain. She also talks about what we can do to help our bodies avoid this problem. I learned a few things that I am implementing in my own life starting today, and I bet you'll learn a useful thing or two as well. All right, let's talk to Rhonda. Rhonda, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Ah, thank you for having me this morning. I'm looking forward to hopefully educating some people about MAT and practicing my spiel. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to give you a chance to practice, and I'm hoping that there's really something to this thing that I've heard of, but I never really understood what it was, how it was different from other physical therapy methods, or even if it is kind of like the same kind of thing as physical therapy. Can you tell us a bit about you your and your experience in using muscle activation technique to help people? Yeah, so let me just start with kind of the textbook answer of what is MAT? Because everybody asks that question. It's a little difficult to answer in one sentence, but basically it's a biomechanically based process designed to identify and correct muscular imbalances that are responsible for the chronic tightness, the pain, the decreased performance. All right. So my job when somebody comes to me, whether it's for, we don't, as MAT people, we really don't like to refer to ourselves as treating pain because we really don't look at the area where there is pain. We look above and below. So if somebody comes to me for pain, tightness, decreased performance, the first place we have to look is just at muscular imbalances. And that basically means differences in range of motion between the right and the left side. All right. And that's where we start. All right. Well, that's pretty good. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and your background in um, coming to muscle activation technique and then also you know, your experience in helping athletes? I assume you work with athletes. All kinds. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I've been in the fitness industry for, I hate to say, 30 plus years. And about 10 years ago, I had one of my clients was um, having issues with her shoulders. And she said, I'm going to go get MAT. And I'm like, what's MAT? And she's like, oh, it's this thing where they put your arm here and they push on it and they test it. And I just got a little bit curious about it, probably in the beginning for selfish reasons. Like I thought, well, I don't need my clients going to somebody else. I need to know <laughs> how to do this. Right. So I look into MAT and talk to a couple of practitioners and I really couldn't get a sense of what it was. But for some reason, I was led to it and I get to class the first day and of course, typical class situation. What's your name? Where are you from? Why are you yeah. here? And I, I'm not kidding when I say every single person that stood up had some crazy story about 
oh, well, I had this problem forever. I went to all these different practitioners. The MAT person worked on my toe and then my neck felt better. And I'm looking around I'm like, did, <laughs> did they pay everybody to say all these things? <laughs> because my experience with MAT was literally zero. And yeah. so of course they get to me and they're like, tell us your name, why you're here, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm here because I saw somebody do this on one of my clients and I don't want my clients going to anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good reason. At least you're honest yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, I was honest about it. Um, so, you know, over the past 10 years, you know, having gotten better at my technique, I mean, I've had everybody from Olympic athletes to people's parents come to me and I can, if, if you want, I can give you some examples of, you know, what I've seen on the extreme ends of working on people using MAT. Yeah. Yeah. For example, um, one of my clients wanted me to work on her mother because they were going on this big, like two week trip to England and they were going to be walking around and she has a cane. <laughs> And she's like, I just really want her to be able to handle the stress of it. She doesn't want to use a wheelchair. And so she flies her in to Boulder to see me. And I work on her the first day, just trying to get as many things activated as possible. I mean, you can imagine in someone that's 70 or 80, there's a lot of stuff that's not working. I mean, the neurological system gets dampened down as we age, just like anything else. Yeah. So I work on her the first day and I'm helping her get on the table. I've got the, her cane and her shoes. Second day I go to work on her and she gets off the table and walks to the kitchen. Doesn't grab her cane. And I'm thinking, how long is it going to take for her to notice she did not need to use her cane to walk yeah. to the kitchen. So she goes in the kitchen, comes out and is like, Oh my gosh, I don't need my cane. I'm like, that's fantastic. Yeah. So that's a really, I love that story. Like helping somebody who really, really needs better mobility is, is really one of the reasons I do this. But you go to the opposite end of the spectrum. And I've had, I had a um, Olympic snowboarder come to me. And all he wanted was... Uh -huh. I can't do a pistol squat. My muscles are really just won't let me do. I can't get back up. Now, of course, this is a 20 year old neurological system is, you know, very good. So almost anything you do to him is going to work. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I treat him, work on all the muscles that would do that movement. Call him the next day. I'm like, I'm just checking in. How did things go? He's like, oh, yeah, I can do it. No problem. So it wasn't his muscles weren't strong enough. It really was some inhibition. Exactly. That you were able to remove. Exactly. So wow. I can remember I can remember in the early stages of my internship we had kind of a introduction to you know neuro and all that piece and I remember them showing this box and they talked about how if that box was a muscle and you had all the muscle fibers in it and you put all these dots in there of which muscle fibers are working, if you had a top level athlete, that box would be filled in 
more densely than somebody who's not, doesn't have that neurological connection with their muscular system. So all I did for that snowboarder was just increase those dots in his box to give him more strength. So he was able to neuromuscularly activate more of his muscles? That's correct. That is correct. And that's really at the base of what we're doing is we are improving the contractile ability of muscle fibers by improving that brain to muscle connection. My audience here is the older athlete. In your two examples, you didn't really touch on that yet. I'll bet that you do work with older athletes. And I wonder if you could tell us, is there anything particularly good about muscle activation technique for the older athlete? Or is it just good for people in general and older athletes fall into that big population? So it is good for people in general, but if we want to get specific about the aging athlete, we can talk about how if you were to look at a graph and at the top of the graph is your maximum threshold of a muscle. At the bottom of the graph is the minimum threshold of the muscle. If the load exceeds maximum at the very top, that's where you have injury. If you go below the minimum threshold, you're talking about atrophy, potentially cell death. Somewhere in between that top and that bottom is the set point for that particular muscle. Ideally, the set point is close to the maximum threshold. But as we age, our muscles do not handle force as well or recover as quickly as when we were younger. So as an older athlete, if you have that set point, maybe in the middle, because of muscle inhibition, because of overuse, overtraining, not recovering well, with muscle activation, you can actually, by increasing that connection between the nervous system and the muscular system, you can actually raise that set point up closer to the maximum threshold. Yeah. So talk about this set point that you've mentioned now several times. What does that mean, really? So I can can say this a different way. It's kind of the maximal, healthy, physiological operating window. So let's say that your set point is in the middle. It's not close to the maximum threshold. Once you exceed that set point, meaning the load that the muscle can handle, you're going to get inhibition. Now, whether it comes back and you recover enough, that's questionable. But if you continue to exceed that set point, it might continue to go down. So your power output is going to go down as well. When you exceed the set point. Yes. Uh, So give me an example of exceeding a set point. So that basically means that's what shows up as tightness or pain. If you're overtraining 
and you're experiencing tightness, that's a true indication that you've got some dysfunction going on between the neuromuscular system and the muscular system. It just means you've overloaded that particular muscle or set of muscle fibers. So once you exceed that from overtraining, it can be from dehydration, a lot of different variables, then that set point is going to go down for the next time you try to use it. So I'm trying to get my head wrapped around this. It, 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 when we talk about a muscle, we're talking about sort of a set of muscle fibers. Mm-hmm. And the muscle fibers don't all fire at the same time, even when you want to you know, lift the heaviest possible thing. I mean, we've heard of stories of, you know, the mom lifts the car off her son. So there would, there would be these situations where under extraordinary conditions, the brain will turn them all on and yes, adrenaline. Uh, and you can, you can do things that you couldn't normally do for all the money in the world, but something can turn it on and you can do more. So you're saying that even though the muscle, it's the entire muscle is not overly stressed because not all of the muscle fibers are being used. The ones that are being turned on are being overstressed. And so those are getting damaged when, when you've exceeded the set point. I'm trying to get to this. What does that mean? Yes. Yeah, so they're not being damaged. They're being inhibited. And basically that means now because you've exceeded that threshold, because there's inflammation, that communication is breaking down. Now, not all inflammation is bad. We know that. Like you have to stress your body. You'll get inflammation. You recover from the inflammation. You get stronger. We're talking more about chronic inflammation and maybe more specifically about the slow twitch fibers that actually guide joint motion. So it's an inhibition that occurs when you exceed that set point from overuse trauma. And is this just inhibition, like a defense mechanism of the body to uh, protect itself from getting injured? Uh, yeah, is it, so is it something that's happening at the, it, it sounds like a neuromuscular thing, inhibition, as opposed to the muscle fibers don't work. Yeah. So if we want, we kind of follow that, Uh, train of thought of, okay, we've exceeded the set point. There's inhibition. Let's say it doesn't recover. Your next indication that things are not going well is pain. So your brain is now sending, yes, pain. That's your check engine light that you need to check those muscles and get them firing again. Or Things are going to get tight. You're going to have pain. The mechanics of the joint are going to change. And of course, we know over time that compensation patterns is what changes the position of the joint and causes that wear and tear within the joint. We just had a a strength expert on who was talking about the position of the joint determined the function and the importance of getting the motion working properly before trying to use strength training to get stronger. Correct. Because then you're just... It's sounding very similar. Yeah. So, yeah, if if the mechanics aren't good within the joint and you're continuing to, whether it's lift, whether it's functional movement, 
the potential is there that you're just embedding that compensation pattern. And yeah, you might be doing this to get your glutes strong, but if they're not all firing right and they attach into the hip, you're going to have one side pulling more than the other. And that's where you start to get tightness. I think the best example that I like to use is if you think of the rotator cuff muscles around the shoulder, you know, you've got like two in the front, two in the back. If they all aren't firing properly, you're going to get like, let's say infraspinatus isn't working well. The other three have to take over its load, which now changes the position of the joint. And over time, if you don't do something about that, that's what creates the wear and tear within those muscles or causes degeneration in the joint. And moving on from that, looking at physical therapy for the aging athlete, I think all of us past the age of 40 have done PT or have done PT and have had to go down the road of surgery. When you think about the exercises that they're giving you, and, you know, one of the most common ones is the infraspinatus physical therapy exercise where you put your arm next to your side and you take that band and you open and close your shoulder joint. Yeah. Well, the reality is if the infraspinatus is not firing, you're just increasing all those imbalances. The other piece of it is the infra infraspinatus has like four divisions. Why are we only doing the bottom? That might not, not even be the weak part. So, you know, things that I've seen over time, I, I sort of feel like it's not that the PT didn't work and you had to go have surgery. It's that the muscles you were trying to work weren't firing. Yeah. Well, those exercises are still exercises, I guess. And it's just a smaller example of trying to get your glutes activated before you start squatting heavy. So it's the same kind of thing. It sounds like even though we're, we're not saying that it's a binary on or off thing, but we're talking about muscles get turned off. It turned off is what I've heard for years. You know, I've even had that told to me from practitioners. Mm -hmm. It's this thing that's out there. And, and maybe that's useful enough for our discussion, but maybe the truth is that they get turned down. Yes, it's basically inhibition. It's the same thing as muscle inhibition, meaning yeah, yeah. turning off. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to understand this just a little bit more. This why do muscles turn off or turn down? Why do they do that? I, I mean, in my, for my personal experience, I've had this come up and I've been treated for it actually successfully, I think, in two different situations. One was in a crash. So this was not a chronic mm -hmm. thing, long-standing thing. It was, I crashed and I had broken bones and I had to, you know, come back. And the practitioner would say, oh, well, you know, I actually can't even remember what it was. That's how successful it was. <laughs> but but, but they, the practitioner noticed that uh, I was not standing straight and right. it was something was, was not turning on and I ended up having to get a, a set of exercises that I would do to activate that muscle before I would be, you know, go ride my bike. And, and so that, that ended up working uh, after a while, I quit doing it and the problem anyway, I hope uh, went away. Uh, the other thing was 
a cold laser that I, I had where probably had to do with pain, but the practitioner was like testing, you know, or is, is this strong, you know, resist me when I push here mm-hmm. and it'd be like, Oh, and it would, and, and he would find something. Oh, you're weak here. And, uh, and he, you know, he'd do this cold laser and then I was strong like in seconds. And of course yeah. it was like, Oh, this is bull. It can't be true. <laughs> but it happened so many times that I thought, all right, I believe it. I believe yeah. that there is something to that. And I don't know what that means, but of course, just, I don't have a cold laser I carry around in my pocket when I'm, you know, riding my bike. So that, that kind of a rehabilitation technique is not that useful to me. It, it just means I got to go in and get lasered before my races or something. And so that's not really a good way of, of doing things, but why? So here's the question. <laughs> Finally, yeah. yes. why do the muscles turn off? Oh goodness. Well, that is a loaded question, but honestly, there are so many things that can cause inhibition. It can, I mean, the most common are overuse, stress, trauma, dehydration, even nutrition. So I'll give you a really, I mean, this was my- Before you jump into that detail, I was hoping you were going to also mention at the end of that list, uh, non-use. If we are not using it, the brain stops telling the muscle to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a thing. I mean, I you know, it's funny because I'm we're talking to athletes, so that would never even be an issue. <laughs> well, Glenn talks about how he sits on his glutes instead of using them. And so <laughs> you know, his story, Glenn, tell your story. <laughs> no, it just comes down to the fact that cyclists typically don't use their glutes. We sit on them. That's our, our cushion on top of our saddle. Um, but there's a way to use your glutes on a bicycle. But I think what Joe is getting at is there's something he has to understand about the brain is that if I'm if I'm like have a biceps and I can I basically contract my biceps, the muscle on the other side must be inhibited so that the bicep will contract because essentially you have a push-pull system. Mm. So if you contract one muscle, you must essentially inactivate the other muscle to relax it so the other muscle can contract it because you're working against a force. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So yes, let me address those two things. So when you, when we were talking about not using something, so again, we're looking at that operating window, minimum Mm -hmm. threshold cell death, right? Right. Not using. And then Glenn talking to you, um, your comment is that it actually works the other way with reciprocal inhibition, meaning there has to be a good contraction first. That's the message for the other message to go to the muscle to release. So it's op- it's opposite. And that's, that's why when we, as practitioners with MAT, we look at tightness in a different way. Like a lot of people want to try to increase that range of motion by stretching it. And that, that can work. I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I'm not saying that stretching is bad. But from our point of view and what we see when we treat somebody is that if you improve the connection between your brain and that muscle and your brain getting the correct messaging, when that muscle starts to contract, it will send the message to the opposite side to lengthen. So those two things do go together. 
So the tight muscle is not the one that's the problem. It's compensating for the muscle that's the problem. That is correct. Now, there are no absolutes when it comes to the body. So yes, we can say that. If there's degenerative changes and the body's trying to compensate for that, like, of course, there might be tightness there. But if you're just experiencing tightness from a non-injury, maybe it just showed up from overuse, it's not necessarily that muscle that's creating the problem. It's the other muscle might have reached its limit and now it's not firing right. Now it's not messaging right. Now it's not messaging to the opposite side to lengthen. Well, let's talk about the classic cyclist example of this. And you can educate us here. Tight hip flexors. Where's that come from? Yeah, so that would tend to be an overuse issue. And I will tell you that when I treat my husband, because I know that he's overusing those muscles, I will treat those muscles. But also hip flexor issues can stem from weakness and weaknesses in other places. So the great thing about MAT and what I love about it is I don't have to guess about what I need to work on. When I go through the evaluation, when I see the muscular imbalances, it's going to tell me what I need to work on. And it's, you know, you might have tight hip flexors, but that doesn't mean it's the hip flexors I need to work on. I'd have to look and evaluate It could be that your spinal erectors aren't firing right. Like there's so many components to it. And and I can tell you from my early experience with MAT, I really just wanted to work on the thing that was hurting the person that would come to see me. And they wanted me to work on the thing that was hurting them. And I have to tell you, every time I did that, I did not have good results. With MAT, I'm not saying with other modalities, but with MAT specifically. Right. So instead you work on the, the thing that seems to be inhibited that you are hoping is related to the pain. And, and if, if it turns out it wasn't, then maybe it was something else that was inhibited that, you, you know, so you're looking for the things that are inhibited and you try to deal with those, not yes. the things that are painful. The classic thing, continuing with the cyclists don't use their glutes, is that cyclists have tight hip flexors. And I was guessing that those are related phenomenon. Yes, they are. Yes, absolutely. Um, You'd have to look at, are the hip flexors doing more work? Maybe because the quadricep muscles aren't firing as well. Maybe the hamstring muscles aren't firing well. Um, And yes, you do... Glenn, actually use your hamstrings, <laughs> your, I'm sorry, your glutes when you're cycling because the glute attaches up into the pelvis, the hip joint attaches all the way down to the knee, like the bottom of the kneecap. There's two attachments. So they are bending and flexing your knees. So you do need those. So it could be a combination if glutes aren't firing, the quads aren't firing, the hamstrings aren't firing, even uh, your calves aren't firing, like they do knee flexion. So you have to look at all those components as to why the hip flexors are overworking. Okay. Well, in any case, it's obvious that it's a person by person thing and there's no one size fits all. I was 
just hoping that there was a kind of a, a classic thing that you find that related to glutes not activating. And they seem to be on the opposite side of the hip flexor. So anyway, I was just thinking that, <laughs> oh, there's a classic there. Uh, right. But I guess your experience is that it's not as clean as that. It's no. every person is different and you got to find out where their inhibition is. And that's what you got to deal with. Exactly. I mean, if, if you had six different people that have hip pain, you might could find six different areas above or below that joint that were causing that. Yeah. Which is even more to the point, which is don't go for the pain. Go <laughs> I know, right? Or the inhibition. Find the inhibition and solve that. And that is probably going to solve the problem. Whether that problem is pain or performance, that uh, meaning that the uh, a strength issue right uh, that that might be new or maybe has always been around that you know because a person has compensated and and now they're crooked or they're not uh, moving functionally in a in a way that would be ideal that would allow them to express their full power so the person who wants to get stronger on their bike as an example before they go to the gym and start lifting heavy weights, why wouldn't they find, you know, just make sure that their muscles are actually turning on properly in the full range of motion, uh, even though they might not have pain. In a perfect world, yes. <laughs> um, you know, one thing I wanted to address when we talk about tightness and tightness leading to pain, if you don't do something about it, one of the reasons that MAT tends to lessen pain is that because we're improving the neurological connection between the brain and the muscle, there is an inverse relationship between mechanoreceptors and nociceptors, which lie within the joint, you know, attachment site where the muscle attaches. When yeah. you stimulate those areas, and when you improve that communication, it increases the mechano, mechanoreception, and that inversely reduces the nociception, which are the ones that send your pain signals. Is it just a capacity thing? There's only so much room for information in the, the nerve, and so if you're using some of it to communicate movement, it's there's less to use in communicating pain or is, is there some other reason? That might be getting a little bit over my head <laughs> for that to okay. answer that. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm just guessing. Yeah. I, I have no idea. Uh, well, that's interesting though. It just, it just from a practical point of view, you're saying that happens to happen. Yes. That when the movement, when, and you talked about, it sounded like something you're doing. So some manipulation or some, Correct. Treatment, physical treatment you're giving somebody as a part of MAT. So I assume that that would mean that there's two basic parts then. There's this physical manipulation that you do. And then there's, I guess, exercises or stretches or whatever, things that people do on their own that somehow extend the benefit that you gave them in the minutes you were able to deal with them, but just those minutes is not going to heal them 
even though maybe it's not a damage thing, it's a neuromuscular turning on thing. They need more time doing that. They need their brains need to get used to doing that. And the more they do it, the better it is. And so waiting two weeks to come see you again, that's the wrong way to go. You, you've got to keep that activation going. Uh, anyway, this I'm guessing again. So tell me what's true. Yeah. So, so MAT is based basically on four pillars. We look at limits in range of motion, where we find those limits. We test the muscles because the muscles that take you into that position are not, that's an indication. There's some weakness or not firing well. Then we test those muscles. Then we treat them. And then we retest. Now, the burning question is, how long does it last? And I heard a really funny answer to that this weekend. I was in a, a virtual lab this weekend for MAT and yeah. somebody blurted out, how long does it last? And the instructor said, until you break it. <laughs> I was like, okay. <clears throat> but honestly, in my experience, I haven't had to have people do very many exercises to keep things turned on because you're talking about turning on a small group of slow twitch muscles that are activating when you just walk. And one of the, probably one of the biggest things I have to tell people, because we are thinking of this as a strength thing. And yes, it improves strength, but it's more about inhibition and gaining strength by turning the muscle on. So what I mean by that is that, you know, I'll have people come in and let's say that I'm treating their glutes and they want to know what exercises can I do, you know, to, to keep those on. Well, honestly, just walking around and doing what you normally do most of the time works. I mean, if I have somebody come in in one week and let's say I test all the glute muscles, they come back the next week. Almost always we have like, I don't know, 60 to 70% that are still on and then maybe a couple of more treatments and the body just begins to work. You don't, the problem is, is that you're dealing with muscles that have a very, very low threshold. So if I treat you and then you go and overload them again, you might exceed that threshold again and then just shut them down. Huh. So you're saying that doing exercises could be counterproductive. It can with the things that I am testing. A lot of times, yes. And I mean, people love that they don't have to do a million exercises to keep things turned on. Like if you're active right. and I turn things on and I see you like four or five sessions, everything should still be working like a month later. But if that's a person who goes and rides their bike 15 hours a week and now they and they weren't using their glutes much and now they are, now they're getting 15 hours of using their glutes. Is that is that bad? Not bad. So that's not going to overwhelm the muscle and re-deactivate it? No, because you're not isolating it. You're still using other muscles to do that motion. So it's not like you're trying to just isolate that one area and load it okay. with nothing else helping it. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I guess, on, so you're saying that the other muscles are, can compensate 
and and maybe that happens naturally without thinking, which leads me to think about the person who has been having this muscle inactivation for a long time, and they've compensated for it, and their compensation didn't cause pain. Let's use the example: it never caused them pain. They're you know they're young and resilient, and and the, and they didn't have pain as a result, but they weren't didn't have the power that they could have had. Uh, if they were fully utilizing their glutes, say, on the bike. Correct. And um, so, yeah, and when we talk about compensation, I mean, compensation is a good thing, right? Like, we need that so we can keep moving. Compensation is what gets us from point A to point B. It's not until too many things are not working, the body can't compensate anymore. Then you get the tightness. Then you get the pain. Then you get the degeneration in the joint. Yeah. Well, and I get that. That makes sense. But I was going to the other extreme saying, I was getting back to the, if your movement patterns aren't right, if your joints aren't in in the right position, then you're not going to get the performance that you want. And perhaps you're going to end up having pain and damage. And so before you wanted to engage in a strength training program, you ought to get your movement patterns working properly Part of that could be reactivating muscles that have been deactivated wholly or partially. But because you have been compensating for not using those deactivated muscles for a long time, your patterns for doing a certain movement is now based on not having that muscle. So the question then becomes, well, how do you get to where you learn to move properly now that your muscle turns on properly? MAT is a more isolated treatment. But once you get all those parts turned on, you know, the functional movement is going to be smoother. It's you're going to actually reap the benefits of it. So yeah, so activating everything is just going to make everything else work better. If you think about the muscles should be moving, you know, depending on the movement pattern, It should be like a symphony with all these different instruments that are supposed to come in at the right time so that it sounds right. And that's the way your body's supposed to work as well. Like you want all those muscles firing and firing on demand so that that movement is smooth and controlled and strong. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And I suppose the the answer is, let's use the example of a bike fit. I mean, if your bike has been fit to your body in a position that it was in because you were dysfunctional. And now that you're not uh, dysfunctional anymore, well, you probably need another bike fit. That, that is potentially true. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, so this turning of muscles on, we talked about how it can be part of solving pain. Uh, It can be part of uh, improving performance. I wonder if it isn't also a part of warming up so that when you start your race, you know, you have all of your muscles turned on right away. I guess where I'm driving is that I see the phrase activate your muscles associated with warming up all the time. Is that a different kind of activate or is it really the same kind of thing? Uh, it's a little bit different in the context that we use for activating a muscle, but yeah, definitely those movement patterns are designed to 
wake things up and get things moving and get things more pliable and increase joint range of motion. So, you know, we're still talking about improving performance and movement. It's just that MAT is a little more isolated to just one section of, you know, your glute muscles or one section of your infraspinatus muscles. So, you know, it's used in a different context, I think, from just the general context of activating. Okay. Well, and so is there anything that people can do? I mean, obviously there's a, a, a need, you know, if a muscle is turned off, let's just take that extreme example, then watching a video on YouTube that requires you use that muscle is not very useful because you can't use that muscle. Right. <laughs> right. But I wonder, are there things that people can do? And again, we're talking about the older athlete here. Are there things that people can do to avoid this muscle turning off situation? And maybe in some situations that, you know, they're not, it's not entirely turned off and they can do a range of motion set of activities regularly that will help things turn on more. Do you know what I'm driving at here? Are there I do. things that people can do without coming to see a specialist like yourself? Yeah. So one of the things that we should begin to think about and look at is, you know, like, let's say you're lying on your back and you're lifting your leg up and your hamstring is really tight. Yeah. And you're trying to pull behind your knee. You're trying to increase that range of motion. Well, you might increase that range of motion, but you might not have strength in that difference between where the leg will actually go and where you're trying to get it to. So think about changing that paradigm and thinking, okay, if it's the muscles that are moving me in that direction that aren't working, and that's why the hamstring is sending that snake signal of don't go further you're not stable there maybe think of doing like a super light isometric in the opposite direction uh, meaning you take your leg up you put your hand on your thigh you hold your hand still you do a super light isometric for like six seconds six times and see if that won't open up your range a little bit versus working on the other side of the leg um, I see. Yeah. So it, it's just a different way of thinking about it. But if I had to tell somebody something to try, like that would be, that would be it. Well, that sounds smart. Cause that the isometric, it's not easy to put a big load on when you're just doing a, an isometric type of uh, exercise. So the idea then is just to reiterate, make sure I got it is that if you're, if you're tight and your instinct is, Oh, I want to stretch where I'm tight. Mm -hmm. First try using the opposite muscle in an isometric way, you know, put your hand out on the thigh and then try to pull the thigh in mm -hmm. while you're holding it back with the hand and see if that doesn't trigger the hamstring to loosen up all by itself. Correct. So if you're approving the isometric itself to, um, basically improves the central nervous system output to that muscle that you're doing the isometric on. So again, it might yeah. improve that contractile ability, which will then send the message to the opposite side to relax. Awesome. I'll tell you that every morning I do a set of stretches 
And one of them is stretching my hip flexors. And day after day after day, they always feel the same. They (laughs) always are the same amount of tightness and the same amount of pain. And my stretching isn't doing jack you know what. Yeah. So I now have a mission for tomorrow morning. Thank you. Yes. That was what I wanted to get at. Is there anything you think we haven't talked about, but people need to know? Um, I think we have just about covered everything. No, well, that's great. What I would like to say is that I wish people would come to see me before things got really bad. Like it should be a maintenance or you should find whatever that is for you, whether it's chiropractic, whether it's massage, whether it's MAT, whatever works for you. Like don't wait till things are bad because then it just takes more time to, to reverse engineer all that stuff. So that's the only thing I would say. Right, right. Well, and what about people who are getting treated for things, but they're just getting treated again, uh, like indefinitely? That sounds like there's room for a better way. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it depends if there are actual structural changes to the skeletal system Yeah. and then you're overloading it, then yes, you probably need to get treated a lot if you're going to overload your muscular system. But for somebody that's, not, you know, 15 hours a week on the bike, doesn't have, you know, degenerative issues in their joints, you should not have to do something, a treatment once a week. I mean, for me, I might see somebody every four to six weeks, and that seems to work fine, unless, you know, I have an MS patient that I have to see every week, because her system obviously is always going to be under stress. I got that. All right. Well, Glenn, is there anything I missed that you wanted to talk about? Not really. Um, I'm I'm familiar with the therapy because I've done it before and had a lot of friends. But I think the the key thing I think that I had to learn way back when was the idea of what I call contralateral or opposing muscle groups. And sometimes where the pain is is not where the problem is. And I've had some. I mean, it's like I said, like in every situation, it's trial and error. You figure things out. Different practitioners, whether it be massage therapists, MIT specialists, and I've learned over the years that. When I have a tight muscle, I need to look at the opposite. What's the contra- What's the opposing muscle? And sometimes yeah. that's the muscle that's the problem. And so, I think for the listener out there who doesn't really understand what we're talking about, there's so much information available out there. There are MAT practitioners that can explain things. Because when I first had an MAT person work with me, going like that hurts because <laughs> you get the origin point, like ah, oh, he's killing me. But that was right before I did nationals in 2008, and I won what two national championships that year. So I didn't quite understand it back in the day. You know, I think (laughs) when we first come to it, we're like, huh? But when it works, you're like, oh, this is quite interesting. And you see benefits from it. So um, I'm a firm believer. The the concept makes a lot of sense. And for the practitioner, they're able to actually assess as they go along and say, oh, that worked, that didn't work. Mm -hmm. And then keep testing as they go. And that's what I liked about it, too, is that they knew, and I as we know as well, that what they, the treatment they just done was working. So that was nice. Great. All right. Well, thanks for that. Well, Rhonda, thank you very much. This has been very educational. I have learned a ton. Uh, My mind is spinning on how am I going to uh, uh, use this knowledge, but that's how it starts. So thanks very much. Can you tell us and our audience 
how they can find you if they want to ask you questions or if they want to find out more information, um, you know, whether it's social media or a website or whatever? Yeah. So the easiest way to contact me is bouldermuscleactivation.com. If you're not in the area, you can go to muscleactivationtechniques.com and there's a lot of information on that website as well. We'll put that in the show notes in case somebody didn't have an opportunity to write that down. And um, thank you very much, Rhonda. You've been a big help to us. Thanks a bunch. Thank you. My pleasure. All righty. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You too. Thank you so much for listening in to our discussion with Rhonda Menzel about muscle activation technique. I hope you found Rhonda's explanations and advice as helpful as I did. If you have questions for Rhonda or want to know more about muscle activation technique, check out the show notes on the wiseathletes.com website. While you're there, you can sign up to take a free fitness practices assessment, send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Thanks again.